Episode 1. Hello, you're very welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. It's episode number one, and our title for this first episode is Who's There? There's an old Irish saying that proclaims Tus ma la nehebra. A good start is half the work. But where exactly do we start? It's all very well to start at the beginning of a play and work through the text from Act 1 to Act 5, if there are five acts, of course. And this is the ambition of this podcast, start to finish. Things get a little tricky when it's a Shakespeare play, of course, and get even trickier when that Shakespeare play is Hamlet. We have three surviving source texts that are particularly useful when analysing where this play came from. A quarto text from 1603, and another quarto from 1604, and then the famous first folio text from 1623. Startlingly, for what is perhaps the most famous play in the world, there's very little identical material between the quarto and folio versions of the play. In the 18th century, editors like Lewis Tybalt created versions of the text that combined the various sources, but contemporary scholarship is veering away from this practice. For example, the Arden Shakespeare recently published Hamlet in two separate volumes for the current, almost completed third edition of the complete plays. One contained the first quarto and first folio texts, and a more substantial volume contained the text from the second quarto. This is the end of the jargon. For more detailed information about what these words folio and quarto mean, please visit the show notes page of our podcast website, thehamletpodcast.com. That's thehamletpodcast.com. For the purposes of the podcast, I am going to concentrate on the second quarto text. And of course, if there's anything particularly juicy or exciting or unmissable in the folio, rest assured that I will let you know. So, we have a text. We have a beginning. Tus ma. None of the texts give a location for this opening scene because it hardly feels necessary. All of the clues we will need are studded through the text of the scene, as is of course almost always the case in Shakespeare. In his fantastic recent book about touring this play to every country on earth, Dominic Drumgoul tells a very funny story of having had to introduce the play to an audience in Mexico City when his cast was struck down with a nasty bout of food poisoning and they had to dispense with the character of Horatio. So he came out on stage to introduce it and he began, It was a cold, dark night in Denmark and almost immediately got into trouble with his translator as the pair of them tried to figure out the word for battlements in Mexican Spanish. For the record, Señor Dromgul, the word is almenas, or merlones. Shakespeare's own audience, jammed into the Globe Theatre in the afternoon sunlight, would have been accustomed to the mental leaps he might ask of them. He had already delighted them with comic interludes in various places around Italy, Given them extraordinary dramatisations of English history in the cycles of plays dealing with Kings Richard II, Henry IV and V, and the tremendous villain he created, Richard III. He had taken them to ancient Rome and ancient Greece, to Verona and Venice, and had enthralled London audiences with at least 20 wonderful plays at this point. Now, creating a chronology for Shakespeare's plays will never really be an exact science, but certainly as many as two dozen plays had appeared and made Shakespeare enough of a name in the English theatre this scene that a new play by him would have attracted considerable interest. 
James Shapiro's wonderful book, 1599, A Year in the Life of Shakespeare, makes a very strong case for Hamlet being one of several extraordinary plays Shakespeare wrote in the last year of the 16th century. The others were Julius Caesar, Henry V, and As You Like It. So, in 1599, Shakespeare's audience would have been ready for anything. When the players of Shakespeare's new play walked onto the set, the audience would have known nothing. Perhaps they had heard a title, Hamlet, but what else might they have known, if anything at all? Two sentinels enter, perhaps one at a time. One is maybe coming to relieve the other. They might wear Danish costumes, but more likely they're just dressed in nondescript theatrical soldier garb. Does a hush fall over the crowd? The first soldier maybe looks nervous, or even frightened. The second speaks. Who's there? Nay, answer me. Stand and unfold yourself. Long live the king. Bernardo? He. You come most carefully upon your hour. Tis now struck twelve. Get thee to bed, Francisco. For this relief, much thanks. Tis bitter cold, and I am sick at heart. Have you had quiet guard? Not a mouse stirring. Well, good night. If you do meet Horatio and Marcellus, the rivals of my watch, bid them make haste. I think I hear them. Stand ho! Who's there? Friends to this ground, and liegemen to the Dane. Give you good night. Oh, farewell, honest soldier. Who hath relieved you? Bernardo has my place. Give you good night. Holla! Bernardo! Say, what, is Horatio there? A piece of him? Welcome, Horatio. Welcome, good Marcellus. And there you have it, the first twenty lines or so of Shakespeare's Hamlet. In terms of a beginning for a play, this is pretty fantastic. Who's there? Delivered on a bare stage in the middle of the afternoon to a rapt audience in broad daylight. It's a very bold move. What are we to expect? Is it so dark on this battlement that they can't see each other? Or is Bernardo nervous that he might run into someone or something other than his colleague Francisco? Who's there? Who is he thinking might be there? This little question has been of particular importance to the great director Peter Brook. Not only did he seemingly end his production of the play with it, he went on to create a whole separate Hamlet-inspired project called Qui est là, the French for Who's There. It's notable that the first response that Bernardo gives to the question is not relax, Francisco, it's me, friend. Instead, he gives a much more formal, nervous, long live the king. So, we know we are in a kingdom. A kingdom in which it is a wise move when meeting a stranger to pledge allegiance to the crown even before identifying oneself. Then Francisco takes the risk or assumes that it's safe and asks if it's his friend. Bernardo? Immediately the ice is broken, and Francisco thanks Bernardo for showing up on time. This somehow makes the tension in the air all the more palpable. He was expecting Bernardo, and yet their meeting is still very cautious. They chat a little about how Francisco's shift has gone. We learn that it is just after midnight, that Francisco is cold and sad, and we get the first famous quote in the play. I promised you in the trailer that, as my countrywoman said, it's full of quotes, and this is the first one that has echoes through time. Not a mouse stirring. 
This signifier of nocturnal silence and stillness is familiar to anyone who ever learned the American poem A Visit from St. Nicholas. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Of course, this night, and night-time it is, as has been established, is going to have a visitor far more frightening than Father Christmas. Bernardo nervously takes over from Francisco and asks that if on his way he meets Horatio or Marcellus, who are due to sit out this watch with him, could he tell them to hurry up? Bernardo clearly doesn't want to be alone. Francisco moves away and immediately thinks he hears them, and again he asks the simple but very effective question, who's there? Once again, the answer is guarded and non-committal. Horatio claims they are friends to this ground. We will discuss his loyalties and even his nationality a good deal later on on our journey. Marcellus, another member of the Watch, qualifies the answer with and liegemen to the Dane. Again, these characters are eager to point out their own sworn loyalty, and we now realise, of course, that we are in Denmark. Interestingly, Horatio and Marcellus's loyalty is to the place and to the Dane, specific enough that they won't get into trouble, but there's wiggle room here too. To which Dane are they loyal? Whose side are they on? Francisco bids them good night. He's still very eager to get out of the cold and away from whatever is going on up on this battlement, and Marcellus checks to see who else might be up here. Francisco assures them that Bernardo has taken over the watch, and he's done. It's a tiny part, but what a great way to open a show. Marcellus calls out. We have to assume that it's terribly dark atop this Danish castle, and he greets Bernardo. He asks if Horatio is here too, and Horatio gives what appears to be quite a cryptic answer. A piece of him. This could mean that it's so cold up here on top of the castle that he's been reduced to a fragment of his former self. Or, indeed, he could be offering his hand to Bernardo in greeting. That's the thing with these texts, these old plays, that sometimes confuse us when we read them on the page. Most often, the best solution is the one that makes the most sense between two performers standing on a stage. So, Bernardo, let's assume, shakes Horatio's hand and bids a welcome to him, and to good Marcellus. The welcome is almost ironic, of course, considering what they are here to investigate, but that will have to wait until next week's episode. I'll hope you join us then for another episode of the Hamlet podcast. Please do consider subscribing, whether it be on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, or indeed in iTunes. And of course, you can get more details from our website, thehamletpodcast.com. See you next time.